If we ever needed the Lord before, we sure gonna need him now. Well, we sure gonna need him now. Well, we sure gonna need him now. If we ever needed the Lord before, we sure gonna need him now. Well, we need him and we need him now. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. In 1985, I was one year out of college. I had just moved to Philadelphia, and I was looking for friends and a place to belong. After a short search of local music groups, I found what would become the answer to my prayers. I auditioned for and then joined the LLGLBTPACGCC. The Lavender Light Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, Transgendered, People of All Colors Gospel Choir. And for a glorious year, for a glorious year, I sang and prayed, performed, recorded, and praised God with the most exquisitely diverse group of people I have ever had the honor of knowing and loving. At the beginning of every rehearsal, the 35 of us sang the song you just heard. And then after that song, we joined hands and we prayed, praying like this little white girl had never prayed before. It was a completely new thing for me. Coming from my very reserved Midwest, we never talk about our feelings or express them kind of Protestant background. No, this was way out of my comfort zone. They were clearly living in a different reality from mine, but I stayed, and I'm so glad that I did. You see, praying for them was just like sitting at a huge family dinner table with people you liked, and each person sharing a joy or a sorrow from their day in the most tangible and accessible way. There were no theological terms or constructs, nothing formulaic or memorized, as I had learned to do. This was simply just talking to Jesus, and I had a hard time wrapping my head and my heart around it. Each person's words were full of heart and life, hurt and joy, struggle and passion, a simple and therefore profound conversation, as if each were talking directly to their best friend, who just happened to be named Jesus. Jesus was as present to them as you are to me right now, and as life-giving as the air we breathe. And after a year with that group, not only did I learn nearly a hundred gospel songs, but I have been invited into and witnessed meeting and experiencing the divine in a completely new and life-changing way. Looking back now on that time, I think, truth be told, I was a wee bit judgy. But I was also kind of fascinated. They were amazing people, and I grew to love them as we sang together, but still, I never once opened my mouth when we prayed that way. At the same time, it was during that year that I began, slowly, 
slowly considering what it might mean to me personally to not just believe in the story of Jesus' life and lessons, but to consider the possibility of trying to figure out what it would mean to have some kind of a relationship with Jesus. It was hard for me at first, and still to this day I struggle with the voices in my head arguing and wrestling with my doubts and my inadequacies, but I tried then, and I still do try to this day. I have decided, as others have said before me, I am willing to risk being wrong about this way of living and loving in the world. There is, I have learned, a different reality that is available to each of us when we make that choice. When all of who we are is able to quiet our egocentric selves and surrender ever so slightly to the ready embrace of an all-expansive love just waiting to be noticed. It's a reality not of our own making, but of our own choosing and surrendering to. That surrender is what I call a primary prayer posture, the willingness to authentically and humbly quiet the voices in our heads so that the language of our hearts can connect with the divine. This morning in our gospel, we hear the final verses of Jesus' farewell discourse, a beautiful and lengthy passage in John offering a description of what might have happened and been said following the end of the meal Jesus shared with his friends for the very last time. These particular verses today come at the very end of that long discourse, the final, final words, if you will, of this part of the narrative before Jesus is arrested and taken away. And what are these words? They are a prayer. And they are the words that make up the longest recorded prayer offered by Jesus in all of Scripture. So how does he pray? Well, perhaps not surprisingly, he didn't pray like I was taught. In fact, as I sat with our text for this morning, I realized that my LLGLBTPACGC brothers and sisters prayed pretty much like Jesus did on that night. In probably an oversimplistic fashion, I would suggest that this was how Jesus prayed. First, he prays for himself, then he prays for those closest to him, and finally he prays for others, those not yet known to him or in the world, a.k.a. us. Not a bad pattern, not a complicated formula, and I, for one, would do well to commit it to heart and to try to practice it. Prayer is something that has often perplexed me, perhaps because of my overactive need to quench my hunger for certitude. In other words, I've often asked myself, where is the proof in the efficacy of prayer? How can we be certain that prayer really makes a difference? I don't think that prayer is magic. I don't think prayer is a wish list of God's request for God, right? Of course not. But how many times when faced with an overwhelming situation 
or a total loss of our ability to determine a favorable outcome? Do we say ourselves or hear someone close to us say the words, I'll pray for you? What does that mean? Why does that matter? Well, here's what I think about that today. First, today's gospel reminds us that Jesus prayed. On the evening before he was arrested, he prayed. And not privately either, but right in the midst of his disciples. The very last thing that Jesus did before going to the garden, immediately in the next chapter of John, in which he steps forward to identify himself as the one they are looking for and have come to arrest, the last thing that he does in the company of those he loves is he prays. Why? Well, I can't believe it's because he thought God needed information she didn't already have. Rather, maybe, maybe Jesus prayed because it was the purest and most beautiful way of connecting with his disciples and with the power of love that defies any attempt to confine it in the world otherwise known by some as God. I am not suggesting this morning that there aren't as many forms of prayers as there are individuals. There truly are. And I'm not suggesting there is only one way to pray. Of course, that is not the case. What I am noticing through the gospel lesson this morning and my own journey and wrestling with prayer is that at the end of the day, prayer, I think, is about deep connection and relationship. For the disciples, I suspect hearing Jesus pray that prayer that night was something they would never forget. And for me, the same could be said after a year of singing that song, holding hands and hearing my friends pray, connecting their hearts and lives to each other and with a God they knew loved them fiercely, wildly, and deeply. And like all things that are really just love walking around in a thinly veiled disguise, the doubts in my head began to subside. And eventually, during that year of singing and listening to those prayers, my heart cracked wide open. Like a new song that you can eventually sing by heart, this pattern of praying eventually found a place to live inside of me. It feels good to look back on that time 35 years ago in Philadelphia and realize that without even knowing how to ask, the prayers of that community shaped me and gave me a place to belong and to become. It took that kind of community experience for me to see years later that in the end, prayer is the connective tissue of love, binding us together. The ancient and modern language of the divine, accessible to us in so many different forms. It's my desire that each of us continue to learn and grow from wherever we find ourselves in our prayer lives today. For some, it is a fluent and life-giving language for others, it may feel foreign or even off-putting. I can share firsthand. It is a language worth learning. 
perhaps what matters most in an inclusive, progressive, creative community of faith is the recognition of a wide spiritual path where we are invited to wander at our own pace. Prayer is also a kind of connective tissue reminding us to make space for each other, an invitation to listen well to each other's journeys. I don't know if I will ever be as comfortable as some praying to Jesus as if he were my dinner companion, but I am a little bit more every day willing to learn the language of prayer in all of its variations. Wonderful poet Mary Oliver reminds us of the simplicity and grace of the language of prayer in her beautiful poem by the same name, Prayer. It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. May it be so.